everyone. I'd like to welcome Shalini to our uh, very first LinkedIn Live. Um, we've decided on calling this uh, Disruptors Live. As, as a quick background, Shalini has been an engineer by training, followed by uh, a corporate career in her 20s. A series of events then led her into venture capital, which subsequently led her to heading investments for 500 startups in India. 500 startups for the uninitiated um, is a Silicon Valley-based fund investing in um, early stage technology startups with, um, I'm guessing, currently close to about $2 billion um, under management. Following her time at 500, Shalini flipped over to the other side of the table um, as a founder uh, with, her, with her enterprise called Epic One. Clueless at 30 chronicles her experience as a millennial in India trying to figure it out. Shalini, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Raj. Thank you for the wonderful uh, introduction. And I think I really need to be thankful also because you were one of the first uh, uh, supporters who bought the book and first reader as well. So very excited uh, to have this conversation oh, always. with you. <laughs> oh, that, that's too kind of you to say. You know, what, uh, what got me about the book uh, in the first go was the title. It's not just that it was so catchy, but uh, it just, it's just that it appeals to such a huge segment of the society, right, um, at this point. So my first question is more out of curiosity at this point. Did you first write the book and decide this should be the title or was it the other way around? Hey, Clueless at 30 is the title. Let me build my uh, life story about how I'm going to write it from there on. So I think it almost happened around the same time, uh, to be honest. Um, I would, yeah, probably it's also more to do with maybe the title came first because my friend and I were like jamming. Uh, we were, uh, you know, he, he, he and I were generally talking about books because he was an author before. He has a published book. And uh, my close friend, uh, Varun Agarwal, who inspired me and motivated me to write this book. And uh, <laughs> we were talking and I was like, oh, what, you know, um, I want to talk about all these things, but then, you know, you don't have like a central narrative, right? You need like a central right. point with points, um, all the topics that you want to write and talk about. And then uh, it came out of that conversation. But then, yeah, like, you know, I knew what I wanted to write, but it was all up in the air. Uh, but then I think uh, the common thing that was binding all these things was you know, my current state. And um, I was thinking it was more like a generic observation and I didn't realize that I was at the center of all this. <laughs> so, so yeah, it came, it came out through a conversation and then I think that became like the central point. And only after that, I started writing, but then I just had these topics otherwise floating. Right. Um, what is your initial reaction to actually uh, being offered a book deal, right? Because I would think that uh, being offered a book deal is great on one side, but um, on another level, you realize that, hey, I have to expose myself on this huge platform, my entire story. Was there fear? Was there excitement? How did you feel about, uh, about that when you, when you first offered the deal? I mean, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, initially when seeking a book deal uh, from any publisher, I think you're, you're largely talking about the construct of the book itself, right? I mean, the topics that you want right. to talk about and so on. You're not necessarily writing the entire book. Uh, but then, yeah, you know, just giving a flow it's going to be about and what are all the key topics that you're going to cover in the book, right? Um, so, but initially it was more like, oh, you're just pinning down all your thoughts, right? You're pinning down everything. And, and I don't think until super recently, I don't think I ever thought about, oh, what if someone reads this? And, you know, what if they have like this image of me and it's going to be like completely new, right? I mean, I never thought of it. Um, I think I started only 
I wouldn't say worried, but I started thinking more about it only in the last few weeks. To be honest, when I was writing, I was like very happy. But then I think um, I think the what's very important for any author who's writing a book is to be very honest. And I think an audience actually connects to honesty. You know, the the real human or the real you, right? Um, I think that's right. what they connect to. So. Um, so yeah i was not i was not afraid uh, afraid to do that and you and i just before this uh, live started uh, you and i talked talked about getting out of comfort zone right i mean we right. spoke about <laughs> uh you know doing things which and uh, it's okay if you screw up or it's okay if you don't be the best version of you know whatever it is but then the idea is to get out of that comfort zone and do new things so and right. um, yeah i think if this is my attempt to be the real me um and not having any uh, inhibitions and talking about uh, uh topics or uh, matters that really affect me uh yeah so so yeah i think there was there was no inhibition in the beginning to talk about it but then i really wanted this to be an honest book so this is my attempt to do so right you know um uh, when i started reading the book um i got it on a monday morning i think um and i was scared for you right because i was uh, when i started reading it i was like okay what am i going to find out here uh but at the same time there there's this feeling of a lot of pride that you were able to put yourself out there because it takes guts to even um, even do that and i think the moment i had read the book i i said the same thing to you so i think um and it's a story that everybody needs to hear not just folks in uh, in the venture capital community uh, even though it's more interesting for us right i think you mentioned varun uh the world the venture capital yeah. community is so small uh, my time as a banker i was advising one of his fundraisers uh, for a very short duration oh. Um, okay so i i was speaking with him uh, as connecting him with another uh, potential investor at the time so it's a very small community right uh, so for us it's particularly more interesting but uh, but there is so much meat to kind of take away for everyone from this book right uh, beginning just with the with how uh, how nice the framework of this is i really enjoyed the structure of the book and especially because it's kind of into four phases right um, through which people usually move and of course i think putting them in acronyms makes it even more fun would you like to walk us through the four stages um and how it actually pertains to your life uh, in general yeah i think uh, i'd like to call this a clueless uh, framework uh, so le- let me let me go two steps back first yeah. so the book actually does not say how can you be not clueless or unclueless right i'm i'm not talking right. about that at all right i mean that's that's the whole point because i think in the beginning itself i have like this disclaimer which says this is not a book about tips this is not a book about uh you know self help and so on right it's about what do you do uh uh when you're in the situation or how do you care for yourself when you're in the situation i think that was uh that was the uh central goal of the book so so what what the book um, actually starts with as you rightly said there are four phases uh, in this book the first phase is fomo which is the fear of missing out i think most of us go through this in our everyday life you know it doesn't matter it's your 20s 30s or 40s uh, and also you know with social media there are these glorified representations of how people are living this really cool crazy right. life Like, and you know all of us are aspiring to lead, lead that you know it could be from fashion to uh, professional accomplishment there's so much right um and um i think i started the book talking about all the fears that we live with you know fears that we have created for ourselves one through social media or some with uh, you know following the blueprint of right or the idea of even failing itself right i mean if you don't do uh, certain things at a certain age you're considered a failure and we have all these um 
uh, idealistic frameworks that we want to live. So I've started off with that and, and what it's actually doing. And then, um, and as you see, the book is also about me and a few of my friends in college and how we all started off, right? And we arrive at this uh, point where we are like, hey, I did everything right. You know, how, how can I be in the situation? I'm not supposed to be in the situation. I followed the blueprint right. of life. I did all the right things. I studied hard. I took all the jobs that I was supposed to do. And why, why should I be in this situation? Right. I right. mean, and that was that was the turning point for me. That was uh, when we are all inching towards thirty, right? And uh, so, so the idea was also to see, um, you know, uh, with my observations or my work experience and so on, right? I mean, the idea was really like put yourself out there. There is nothing else that you can do, right? I mean, you are you're like I'm not happy. I did all the right things, but. I don't know why I feel bottled and stuck. I'm not supposed to. I'm earning good money. I've had a reasonably good uh, uh, career or success so far. So the so this I think moves to the next stage. You know, the next stage is you know Sobo, which is the search of better options, uh, where or better opportunities, where you actually put yourself out there looking for new things. You challenge uh, yourself, and you sh and you should be okay to make a mockery of yourself, right? I mean, if something doesn't work right. out, but the idea is to put yourself out there. Uh, but then um, you know when you put yourself out there you realize that there are 100 other things that can go wrong, right? And it is a part of the journey, right? Because there are all these other fears that you will encounter. It could be the fear of doing something for the first time uh, or uh, fear of being judged or fear of um, also... Uh, you know, talking on stage to like so many things, because now you've put yourself out there, you got to do everything that comes uh, along the way, right? I mean, like we're doing this thing, you know, when you spoke about uh, getting active on the media <laughs> front, there's so many fears, right? I mean, what if you say the wrong right. thing? So I think, yeah, when you go out looking for new things or get out of your comfort zone, there are new things that's going to encounter. And then, uh, and I'm saying that, hey, you cannot escape this when you want something better for yourself you have to do this or you have to sacrifice or you have to go through this process, right? When you want something better for yourself. And then uh, I move into the third phase, which is uh, JOLO, which is the joy of letting go, where I'm saying, you know, all these inhibitions that you have or anything that's holding you back or anything that is self-created in your head, right? Just let all of that go, right? I right. mean, you so that you unburden yourself from all these thoughts uh, that's really uh, holding you back. And uh, once you have completely let go, you're free of all these burdens. And the last part, which is my favorite part, <laughs> because I really live live by that even today, um, is uh, MOFO, which is uh, move forward, right? It's about how do you move forward from, you know, being in this clueless state and, you know, being comfortable with that, right? I think that is the right. final uh, final state. Once you have let go, you're clean, you have unburdened. Now let's keep moving forward. So that's that's the final part where um, I talk about multiple things like how do we, uh, you know, be like an unfinished product? How do we be a work in progress? How do we uh, experiment new things? How do we Think about a micro goal setting. Everybody talks about, uh, you know, big goals. You know, how do we talk about micro goals? If you don't know that one thing that you want to do, how can you, why should you not have 10 avatars, right? All of us are waiting uh, for a passion or for that sign to come and then we're not doing anything and we're so stifled at our workplace or, an, or in our everyday life. How do you not wait for all of that and just keep doing 10 things? 
things because all these 10 things actually come together and give you this unique identity or unique perspective, uh, which I call the um, identity capital, right? How do you build your capital right. on identity, which really comes from experiences and you've got to put yourself out there. So that's that's the final part of the book. Yeah. So that is my long answer, <laughs> uh, you know, into, uh, you know, explaining the different phases of the uh, book. You know, um, when I was kind of going through this, I was trying to um, to fit in my own life into the into the different phases, and I realized that oftentimes what happens is that, uh, like, so just just to recap, right? We have four stages, uh, which is FOMO, fear of missing out, SOBO, which is search of better options, um, then there's JOLO, which is joy of um, joy, joy of letting go, and MOFO, which is moving forward, right? All sub all supposed to be stages of progression uh, mentally as well. Do you realize, I, I started thinking about this and I thought that, you know, oftentimes you are switching between one mode or another because you're kind of oscillating between that uh, phase. And I've, at least in your 20s, for the longest time, you know, you can feel like you're making progress. So you've gone from FOMO to SOBO and then you start getting this hedonic adaptation which takes place. Think about it in terms of a job or in terms of entrepreneurship. Once you start getting adapted to that, then you start feeling you're missing out on something else. So you kind of go back a stage. So do you think there's a there's a process to kind of breaking out and not kind of backsliding um, through those phases? I think, first of all, the idea is not to say, hey, don't have FOMO, right? I think the mm -hmm. idea is to also accept your um, anxieties, accept your vulnerabilities, or accept any emotion that is actually holding you back or, you know, making you uh, think twice or uh, having any self-doubt, right? I mean, the idea is right. to accept that you're going through that emotion and just letting it pass. But you have to recognize that emotion or recognize right. that fear, right? And not shy away from it. Because at the end of the day, you know, we are all humans, right? <laughs> I mean, right. Um, and, um, and I think we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. But the idea is to accept what you're going through and, and, and let it slide. And, um, and yeah, and, and I think the idea is that you should also not let this hold back, right? I mean, you recognize the saying, okay, you know, you're envious of someone or, uh, you know, you want to have that better life, right? I mean, but the right. question always comes to, okay, what is it that you're going to do about it, right? Or, uh, you know, I used, to, I used to say this very um, often before is, you know, all of us want an extraordinary life, right? Uh, we all want great things in life. But to get that extraordinary life, we all need to go that extra mile, right? So how many of us are actually willing to do that? So the the idea is, yeah, I mean, uh, you recognize this and you know this is what it's going to take to go that extra mile in life. And then, you know, you keep pushing forward. That's a brilliant way to kind of uh, put it together as well. My next segment that we're going to move to is basically my lessons, which I learned from uh, from reading the book. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it and just a few questions around those lessons. And, um, and how you kind of put them uh, in your lens to, to actually reflect it to, to everybody else, right? Um, the first one is, um, is that millennials have been living in a world of, of labels, right? I think there's, um, there's, there's a part of the book where you say that um, definitions belong to the definers, not the defined, right? Um, what I feel is that, you know, chasing labels has often led at least this generation, right? To get, again, something that you said in the book, which is that um, I'll be happy when syndrome. Right, because we are all always chasing um, chasing that next label. How do you feel uh, you were able to break out of this mold? Right, FOMO plays a big part in this, right? Because you're chasing something else. So, how do you kind of break out of um, of this mold of living outside of labels? So it's very you know interesting. You're asking this question also because I, 
you know, my mentor and I, we were having this uh, conversation about, oh, you know, I, we were talking about, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an investor, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm an author, I'm a community builder, I'm a sportsman, I'm an artist. I have all these avatars, right? And I said, you know, right. see, this is who I am, right? And uh, he was like, no, I don't think you're any of this. Okay, um, because uh, because all these things are um, not the real person that you are, right? I mean, you could be a dreamer or you could be someone who's like an enabler of sorts. The core of all these things, there is one uh, value that is very close to you that is actually driving you to perform or be in a certain way in all these avatars that you have uh, right. chosen. Um, and um, like, for example, in you know, in that definition, say, say if I, by heart, if I was a storyteller, right? I mean, then maybe the avatar could have been in, manifested in different ways, right? It could have manifested as a author, or it could have manifested as you know, like a media company or whatever, right? I mean, at the core, if I'm a storyteller, then it would have manifested in the, the, these different ways. So yeah, so answering your question about labels, right? Um, I think we're all chasing these labels, which are uh, which are not. Uh, potentially the true manifestation of who we are uh, but we are chasing these labels which make us look cool uh, on our right. LinkedIn uh, profile or we are doing that I don't know to satisfy our own ego that oh we are really important because you know we have all these five labels or six labels right, right. so yeah it, was, it but but I, but at the same time having said all of this one of the reasons why we chase these labels is because I think it's just the human need, uh, you know, to have that sense of identity, right? Um, and um, I've also always questioned uh, myself and also other people saying, why do people say uh, mom of two or mom of like three, right? I mean, why is that so important to uh, say that on our social media platforms, right? I mean, why do we, I've seen that like right. on Twitter and, you know. So, but yeah, I think it's, it is, it is an identity that you most so closely connect with that you have, but then, um, but it's also closely related to our human need to belong to a tribe or our need to have a um, social uh, identity or a connection. So I think that is the reason why we chase labels, uh, right. but uh, in our professional lives, um, it's not necessary that it is a true manifestation of who we are. I think that's a good point. I, um, most people aren't even, you know, aware that that we are chasing after labels, right? There's this. Uh, you've heard of uh, Trevor Noah, right? Um, he's a talk show host in um, in the US. So he was interviewing this uh, this conservative host, and he asks her that um, you're a conservative, right? And and she's like, um, I'm a millennial, so I don't like labels. But yeah, I'm a conservative. So he's like, wait a second. You just gave yourself a label to say that you don't like to give yourself labels. So that is just to kind of, uh, you know, make you aware that you aren't even aware that even millennial is a label, right? Um, and you kind of live in that, uh, in that mold. So I think that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's an interesting way to kind of look I at think this, it's right? Like compartmentalizing yourself um, or uh, giving yourself like a definition, right? Like, for example, if uh, I've seen this, uh, also say if you're uh, applying for, say, an award, um, right? Like one of my friends was actually telling me, saying, hey, you know, maybe you should apply for like, you know, like a woman excellence something, you know, this was like two, three weeks back. And then she and I were going through these um, uh, websites, right? Uh, for filling these nomination forms. And then we were looking at it. It's all so clear, you know, it's so clear, you know, you got to be an entrepreneur at, you know, a digital something. 
uh, something, something. And then there's like so clear. And I was like, oh my God, I don't fish, fit into any of this. I don't know who I am. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I think the world out there has compartmentalized or boxed in certain way, boxed you like, oh, you're this, 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 this. If you're not any of this, then you're not good enough. Or So I think that's why we right. chase those boxes or, you know, those tick marks. Right. I think um, it's also one of the things which leads to leads to more fear, right? Um, in terms of, I, I think we'll get to other things like even your ability to take risks, etc. But uh, because of all of the, the way the construct has become now, because of technology, because of everybody putting their thing out there, because you have to be pocketed in a certain label. If you're not, uh, there's also just fear out of doing new things, right? Which, is, which leads me to my next question, uh, which is around, basically stigma around being perceived as not smart enough, right? Or which subsequently leads to, you know, uh, stigma of failure, which again is a, is a big issue in, in a society like India's, right? Unlike, um, unlike the Bay Area, wherein, you know, founders wear their failures as a, uh, you know, badge of honor that, hey, I failed in so-and-so startups, which reflects to that society that, hey, this person has taken the risk, he's learned and, and so on. Uh, you also have faced this, right? Um, through different stages, I, uh, even in the book, you kind of detail that that every time you were trying to shake off, you know, um, a previous after going to the new one, there's always this societal pressure that you felt, right? Whether that that was when you left your corporate job or left VC. How does someone young actually break free of this uh, this societal stigma and uh, in pursuit of you know um, higher excellence for for themselves? I think it's definitely uh, better now, Raj, like say uh, 15 years ago um, itself, right? I think uh, there were there was more uh, stigma around failure itself. Like the fact that you didn't do engineering itself, you know, it's like, oh, your child is useless or your child mm-hmm. is a failure, right? Now, you know, there are other um, arts or anything that you take. Now, there's so much of scope that I think everybody as a society itself is recognizing it, right? So, uh, but yeah, I think in general, I think it's it's generally been more open as the uh, entrepreneurship or the startup culture is more prevalent now. I think the idea of failure itself is, is uh, more accepted uh, for sure. But I think fear of failure uh, also sometimes holds you back from starting something at all. Right. And I think it goes right. back to what I originally said is um, what what if, um, you know, these failures actually define you as a person? You know, I spoke about all these experiences that you collect that creates gives you a unique uh, perspective or a unique identity itself. Right. How can we have failures define you as a person? Because there's so much of learnings that come from it. Those experiences cannot be matched with anything. Right. I mean, so right. if you take it along the stride and also if you think about uh, you know, uh, it's failure or success is not like, you know, success is not the ultimate destination, right? Or you should never treat a failure as the opposite of success, right? Um, okay. If you just take it as, you know, it's it's a journey and, you know, it you may have ups and you may have downs and you should never think of this as an ultimate um, uh, destination in itself. Um, and I think more than anything, um, if you don't try, you know, you're never going to get what you want. So, you know, if you want something more out of life and you you want to have these identities and you want to have like these, um, uh, you know, whatever it is for your business or for profession or for your um, everyday life, right? I mean, you got to put yourself out there and you got to do this. Like we were just talking about how I'm trying to learn the ropes of uh, marketing a book. 
right? We were just right. talking about that, right? And, and I was just telling you about um, how I've not been super comfortable with, you know, using Facebook or Instagram and whatever, you know, I may not even be doing it the right way, but hey, you know, you, you got to put yourself out there. I might be miserable right. at it, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. So, so yeah, I say I, I wouldn't treat anything as a failure. You know, it is an attempt to make something work. So if you want it to work, you you got to do it. There's no other uh, no other goal. Right. I think related to stigma of failure is also um, the ability to take risk, right? Because if you're always scared of failing, you you'll not take risks, right? And I think in yeah. um, in the world that we uh, we operate in now, jobs are constantly changing, disappearing, and all of that. I think taking risk is a prerequisite for success um, in these times. Um, yes and what? no, you know, I mean, we, we, I mean, it depends what is that fear of failure, right? I mean, are you talking about quitting your job and doing your own startup kind of risk? Or are you talking about only quitting your job, which is like your uh, bread, you know, earning your bread and all that, right? right? I mean, it could be other, other types of risks that you take, Um um, you know, it could right from starting a cooking blog or whatever, right? Or any anything that you do where you're trying to create like something uh, more unique uh, to yourself. So I would say, uh, I would say it is, it depends. I mean, are we talking about giving up your livelihood to start something new mm -hmm. or are we talking about smaller risks, right? I mean, so each of us are made different and it's okay if you cannot take those big risks. Uh, but right. the idea is that you take even that tiny small risk uh, that will help you define yourself better or, you know, you know, get your, build your better avatar. Uh, so I would say, yeah, but take that risk, you know, even if it's a small yeah. risk. I think uh, that, that's quite, yeah, I think that's quite eloquently put. Um, the way I can also look at risk, um, the way I have done it in my life is that it's also, it's also a muscle in a certain sense, right? The more you do it, the more you get used to it. Um, yeah. Second thing is um, taking the right um, measured risks in my life have usually left me with a lot of contentment. Right. It, it doesn't make me feel that I haven't done enough uh, because it requires you to put yourself out there. So for me, it's been that. And I, I think th there's a part in the book where, where you talked about, um, I think, your career being a crossword puzzle. Right. So and the trick, it, it's, it's always convoluted. It's always tricky. And you're never sure uh, whether you have all the answers. Right. But you've got to take the next step. And uh, the next yeah. step often uh, involves to uh, taking that little bit of risk. There's this saying, right? It says you in, in your life, in the end, you're probably going to regret about all the things that you didn't do than the things that you did. Right. So right. Uh, so that's why you got to you got to do everything that you you know, that that you're curious about or excited about. You just got to do it because those are the things that you're going to regret the most. So and. And, and that's why you should not be afraid of the mistakes or failure. You know, you got to just right. do it because that's your biggest regret that you didn't do it when you could have. Absolutely. And um, I think you really nicely mentioned that uh, risk is different for different people, right? If I'm, uh, if I'm sitting comfortably with, you know, uh, a lot of wealth in my bank account, I can take any risk that I want, right? I don't have to fear that my, uh, that my family would go hungry. Whereas it could yeah, be different for someone who's living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. See, when you're talking about um, financial risk, right, there are a lot of people who are also worried about reputational risk, right? It's your right. name, right? Like they'll associate it with mm. failure. It may not be financial loss, but there's so many types of risks that you need to take. Um, but yeah, but I guess um, so you, you do as much as you can, but the point is that you should do it. <laughs> right. I think um, I'm going to come to more of the questions that I've I've seen you answer way too many times, but I will um, I will still ask this, right? 
it's more around women entrepreneurs taking the risk to uh, to become more of a part of the workforce right what would be your advice to to a lot of women who are trying to break into this this world which is predominantly kind of dominated by men whether that's venture capital or whether that's uh, that's entrepreneurship it's increasing but not nearly as much as you would think right um, i i just did some quick research uh, some time back and i read that the percentage of startups in india with uh, with a women founder have re- have reduced from 17% to 12% over the last year as well right our workforce participation uh, you know as well as india may have been doing um, has not been good india's women contribution to gdp is around 17% which is half of the world average at 35 even bangladesh bangladesh has a lot of good workforce participation that's why their gdp per capita has kind of skyrocketed now right my question here is that how would you condition those people who feel that the odds are already stacked against them to actually come in and do what things like you did right to take that risk and the second thing is what does what does the society need to do to make these people come into the fray a little bit more so first of all in general i think um, it is the best time to be a woman right now um, also because uh, it's not just the um, the idea of getting capital or not but there are also so many people who have already been like trailblazers who set those examples um, itself right and of course there's so many opportunities there there are funds dedicated for women uh, there are a lot of organizations running programs for uh, which are cent- which are women centric uh, itself right i mean it is that that ecosystem has definitely opened up uh, more and more i think what's important for any uh, woman who's trying to uh, you know get into entrepreneurship startup or generally make a mark in life right i would say the first thing is stop set- telling yourself that you're a woman right i mean that that itself is like a label in itself right i think um just right. you know if you're sitting at the table if there are like uh, uh, five men or 10 men you shouldn't be thinking oh i'm the only woman investor sitting here right i mean the idea is why are you looking for that extra consideration you should not be so i think the idea is to stop stop telling yourself stories that pull you down right i mean start telling stories that will actually catapult you to the next level right and i think there is so much of advantage to being a woman right now um because there are there is so much of push in general from from all places like from having women led funds uh to having women led uh, entrepreneur i mean startups and so on right i think it's a good time to be a woman and don't think of being a woman as like a weakness or uh something that is detrimental to your career or something that is not going to le- help you leap uh, forward because i think there's so many things out there which is very good if you're a woman actually so i would say you know uh, don't label yourself thinking oh i'm a woman entrepreneur and it's going to be tough you are an entrepreneur first and then you're a woman entrepreneur it's important to shift that thinking and shift what you're telling yourself and uh, that's a, that's an excellent answer my next lesson which uh, which i got from the book right uh, and it's something that i've i've been following because i i follow follow kunal shah quite a bit as well um is that inputs before outputs right uh, research before the results the way i look at this lesson um, to a certain extent is that you cannot have you know virat kohli's attitude without before first developing his work ethic right um you capture it really well with that peter pan reference which is one of my favorite parts in the book which says that you can have anything in life as long as you're willing to sacrifice everything else for it right um so as long as you're putting and taking a very parallel uh, corollary there right is that as long as you are working towards towards it um, you will kind of uh, you will kind of get it there but in our generation of you know instant gratification and trying to hack our way to success uh, people get disappointed really early 
and then they quit a little bit early earlier than uh, they would have been what would be your advice to um, to that generation right living in this world of instant gratification to mentally condition yourself that certain things take time certain things can be hacked how do you build framework for yourself so that you can make the best of both of those mindsets sure i think my book and my thoughts uh, in the book largely represent the question that you have asked itself right i used to be a uh, national badminton player right and um, you know to even get into a state team or you know even for national team for more people it takes years it takes years of hard work right and uh, one is hard work and it also takes oodles of sacrifices right and and it needs to imagine like you're 11 years old or 12 years old and the only thing that matters to you then is being playing gully cricket or going to your friends birthday parties or you know going and watching a movie with your friends or cartoons with your friends right these are the most imp- important things for you right when you're yeah. 11 or 12 right i mean that's what you look for to so the idea of um, uh, giving up something for something better is uh, at least for me personally fortunately i think it was ve- ingrained very very early on in your life right was i happy doing that as a 11 year old absolutely not right but the success mm. or the point of uh, giving up those sacrifices happened only after 3 years i could see that only after 3 years or 4 years right because you start playing better because just day and night all you're doing is um, you know you're in you're in the court you're in the court morning to night just playing you know you can't do birthday parties or because next day morning you have to wake up early or you can't go for the summer vacation just like normal families do for 10 days because oh you know the tournament season starts in june and you got to start training in april may for it right. so there is like there is there is so much that you give up as a child um and uh, and you know you're not seeing success immediately just because i didn't go for a holiday that doesn't mean i start winning in june right i mean that's not happening either right, uh, right? Yeah. And, but then the thing is you slowly start moving up right you see that over a period of time and and uh, i saw that very early on and i think any sportsman would concur with that you know right from their food habits to anything so much of sacrifice that they do to actually become a champion you may not even at the end of it become a world champion right i mean you may still just become right. a state champion the amount of sacrifice that you do the resilience and patience um and hard work that you need to have and to need to develop in that sense and there is no instant gratification in any sportsman's life it's it's years of hard work and for me um i think that that fortunately for me because i was able to experience this i think i've been able to uh sort of uh, implement that in different phases of life right i mean if it was so easy to become successful or if it was so easy to become like the next big sensation everybody would have become that right i to right. become that next sensation there is so much of hard work that has gone there's a journey that you have taken and sacrifices and so much that you have given up um in the fact that you also had to get out of your comfort zone to do all of that i think that is what is going to define your success right i mean everybody looks at these uh, mm. uh you know fancy lives you know you mentioned kunal and you know all these people right i mean they have had their share of learnings share of disappointments and shares of failures um and i think uh, that is what makes them who they are and it's and obviously it is not something that's happened over 3 years or so 4 years right i mean it's happened over years years and years you know you have to sacrifice your personal life um you know people lose uh, you know their relationships and you know like money and there is so much of the financial yeah. comfort and lifestyle comfort that people need to give nobody thinks of that when they actually see oh you know this person raised this funding or oh, they became his unicorn but you know there was like a 10 year right. journey you know <laughs> uh, that they had yeah, to take, no, yeah. Uh, but yeah i think 
instant gratification is probably only going to take you so far is what i would say um to answer your question um uh, because um what's going to define you and your success uh is ultimately the sacrifices that you've made and what you had to give up to come to where you are and i think it's sweeter that way you know because you know the yeah. value of what you've got <laughs> yeah and i think uh, i think steve jobs somebody had said this that um focus is having having to say no to the things that you really want to do right if uh, if you were saying no to things that you didn't want to do it would have been very easy the entire piece around you know instant gratification and um, and how difficult it has been for people uh, actually newspapers and media has kind of warped that reality a little bit right um, just i think last week i was having this conversation with uh, with my team and um, i i had i had spoken with rajan bajaj who's just uh, the the founder of slice right um, so also in 2017 and i had spoken with him um, you know during my time as a as a banker and i was sharing this uh, this snippet with my with my team uh, in which i told him that hey we will not be able to take on your mandate because uh, it's uh, we're still waiting for you to kind of grow grow into that uh, you know that phase where we can we can help you out and i told him that hey if you if you need any help from us we'll be happy to provide etc right but i just taken that snapshot and sent it to my team that um, all never forget to account for the tenacity of a, of an entrepreneur right um and that's because yeah. now we're looking at things from an investment standpoint right and um, through all of this don't lose your humility because you don't know where uh, where you will end up you don't know where the other person will end up so i think this is all kind of all of those lessons um, coming together because rajan bajaj i've seen him right um, his product was totally different and then he pivoted he focused on what he was doing and now uh, slice the unicorn right Great. We spoke about your time as a um, as a sportsman. We uh, about your struggles there. Talk to us a little bit more about the mentorship aspect, right? Because coming through that phase, mentorship played a big role in uh, in your life. I think people don't underscore the importance of um, of mentorship enough, especially in our generation. I think for you being a sportsman, it would have been a very um, you know you'd have realized it a long time ago that mentorship is important. but how do you go about looking for mentors when you are getting into different phases different stages of your life whether that's you know going from a corporate career to vc to to entrepreneurship how do you go about the process of looking for mentors so growing up of course you know you're you're not really at least at least in um, uh, say 15 years ago right i think the idea of having a mentor itself uh, was not a very common thing and i remember in in um, you know my Uh, my um, my cousins uh, would would actually ask who are much older than i am um if i've had like a mentor and stuff i was like no why do i need a mentor you know i think i'm like totally sorted or whatever right i mean in fact in my head i it, at least i used to thought it is for the week you know it is it is for somebody who are, who's like totally messed up or you know who needs like uh, someone sitting around and um, uh, you know like another parenting type of a situation right i mean that was the idea that i had but i think um, <clears throat> around the age of um, 28 or so is when i started having this idea of uh you know having someone who's vested in your uh, generally uh, uh, well being right i mean i don't want to say who's vested in your success but you know who who wants to um unleash the real potential in you right i mean that's how i started seeing their role and i think it is so important and it's so nice to have somebody who's really vested in bringing out the best version of yourself uh, or at least um, attempting to do so in um and so i have a, i have a theory about this i i can't remember this but then i think i recently read this saying actually mentors choose you and you don't choose mentors it is the other oh, wow. way around 
yeah so <laughs> i read this nice. and i actually I fresh like, perspective yeah <laughs> yeah so it is um because uh, you know only if i know that i can work with someone and i can help them get from point a to point b or if i feel like you know what i think i can really extract the real potential in this person by you know like um, helping them you know it could be professionally or it could be mentally or you know anyway right if i know i can do that only then i can offer to do that so it is it is the other way in in fact so i don't think people choose mentors i think mentors choose uh the people that they want to mentor or they want they'll choose their mentees so that's my perspective so it's the other way around and i really yeah. really believe that i can't remember where i read this but then i really believe that i that was gold shalini i think uh, i had not thought about it this way and uh, yeah i i'm already taking away more from this conversation <laughs> than i did from the book as well i'll <laughs> read another book <laughs> <laughs> we'll move to the next part um which is more around the importance of um, of mindfulness and how we speak to ourselves i think you've um, you alluded to this in the book as well right um the, and i think you say that we we control our narrative we control our stories right um how would you how have you worked over the years um in terms of how you speak to yourself and how you've been mindful of the steps that you are taking right because when you're trying to do so many things it's so easy to get distracted uh when was it firstly that you learned that hey i need to be more mindful i need to be more focused and um, how did that translate into you know actual steps in your life from that point so so i'm a generalist by uh, by nature as even as a professional and you know as an investor or an entrepreneur whatever right i mean i've had a super super eclectic background where i have not really done one thing uh, for a long period of time and i don't think that is by design uh, i think it's just so happened that it is that right i think um, if i find anything very exciting at the same time very very challenging where i can see a lot of personal and professional growth i've just jumped at it without thinking oh is this in my line of doing things or is this my ultimate goal and the whole point of writing this book also is that i don't know what's my ultimate goal right i mean that's right. the point i don't know what what is that end thing that i'm trying to uh, get to right i'm i am still searching you know i searched through my teens or my 20s and now in my 30s i'm still looking for it so so my mantra has always been that anything where i feel i see great growth uh, personal and professional i would just jump uh, jump on it and and do it right i would not say no to it and shy away from it if it's not in my path but then whatever i take um you know obviously i'm very committed to it right i mean i'm focused uh, and i'm and i and i'm going to go all in and trying to trying to make the most out of it but um i don't have a set path to say that hey i have designed my life to be this way uh and i'm doing all the things to in order to get to the end goal because i don't know what my end goal is so and and that's right. the point of those <laughs> right you know there's a part in your book where you're talking about um, this jim carrey movie right yes man i felt that whenever i was in an exploratory mode in life i was saying yes to a lot more things but when i found what i wanted to do then it became more about trying to control those indulgences right that's when uh, meditation and mindfulness actually came into my life because it was that hey yeah. you've gone through your yes phases now you are into a phase wherein you have to uh, you have to focus right and i left quite a few things you know uh, whether that was on my diet or my fitness or meditation and uh, the way i i was saying this to somebody the other day and i actually wrote it down because uh, that sometimes the thoughts just come to you uh, it was that the reason i do all of those things and control and say no quite often now 
that I feel like the more you are in control of the smaller indulgences in life, the more you feel empowered to control the outcome when the odds are stacked yeah. against you, right? Yeah. You know, the that's Jim Carrey reference that I gave in the book is also, I think, in the Sobo stage, uh, you know, the right. part two of the book, right? Because I'm saying, hey, when you're out there exploring, when you're searching for things, just be a yes man, right? I mean, just yeah. say yes to everything when you're exploring because you don't know, you don't know what you're going to strike. And so don't say no at all. And what's very important, which you rightly put is, but once you have found that thing, you know, you can't be saying yes to everything, right? You got to go all right. in and uh, you you got to be committed to it and stay dedicated. And and uh, to also do anything really good in life, um, I think um, discipline is the most important thing. So I think, uh, and also the discipline to say no, <laughs> you know, uh, right. which will sort of you know, deviate from your uh, path or, um, you know, from the work or that line that uh, that you picked, so yeah, I I completely agree with. That. I think um, I I have another thought around that as well, especially when you found what you want to do, you also know what the odds of your success are. Right? For example, I think even starting up in India, the statistic is ninety percent of startups failing. Right? Within the first first five years, I think uh, that is even um, VC success rates and investments are not that high. Most of the investments fail. Um, so when you know these statistics, when you know these odds, the uh, the onus is on you to kind of remove the distractions and make sure that you are working towards your competitive advantages, right? And seeing how you can turn those odds, because that in itself is a Herculean task. And if you're always saying yes to everything, you will not be able to kind of look at the nuanced aspects of what it takes to, um, to turn the odds in your favor. So it's very interesting because you brought up you brought up uh, meditation, you brought up mindfulness. I, I, I don't want to name this person, but, um, you know, one of India's uh, prominent uh, VCs, um, I remember when I was working at with on some deal with that person, uh, that person said, oh, so we were, we were discussing, you know, there was a deal that I was sharing with him saying, hey, you know, do you want to co-invest and so on? He would, and he said, yeah. And then the next day in the morning, uh, like first thing in the morning at 7, 7.30, I remember talking to him and him telling me, oh, um, I meditated on this. And I think, I think, I think this is going to be good. Let's do this together. I was like, wow, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> uh, especially when you're uh, living in such a uh, data driven uh, decisions, right? I mean, you're like, oh, I'm going to go by data and make this decision. And I'm, of course, that played a role in it. But it was very interesting that he said that, you know, he, he meditated on this uh, and right. uh, because it gives you clarity or, you know, maybe it helps you declutter your thoughts um, and, you know, have that singular focus on making a decision. So I think, I think, you know, different people have different ways, uh, which will keep them sane, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's also about getting that, uh, that clarity of thought, right? Um, yes. And that some, some people get it from meditation, some people get it, you know, from working out. Uh, another way which uh, which you've also covered in the book is um, uh, another way to get, you know, that clarity of thought is through diverse opinion, right? Um, which is the entire conversation that uh, that we've had in even nowadays, right, around diversity. Uh, my question there is that uh, how do you actually expose yourself to to that diverse group, right? Especially if you are, let's say you're not, you're not working for a corporate um, wherein, you know, there's uh, there's enough diversity in terms of uh, female participation or in terms of m minorities or whatever that is, right? In that situation, as an individual, what can you do to expose yourself um, in times like these to diverse opinion, to grow yourself? I think uh, diverse opinion uh, is beyond just the gender lens, right? I think diverse opinion yeah. also comes from the diverse um, environments that you create for yourself or diverse 
set of uh, groups or interests uh, that you create for yourself, right? I think I would say the first thing would be to say, you say if you start volunteering um, uh, anywhere, right? I mean, um, depending on the interest group, uh, interest areas that you have, you start volunteering uh, as one. Um, and then sometimes just... Uh, I mean, depends what you're doing, but then, you know, you can also do stuff on the weekends and stuff, right? Where you actually put yourself uh, out there, you meet different people. Um, and I think there are also so many meetups that happen now, It you know, just mm. coffee, you know, books or whatever, right? I mean, there's so many such things now, nowadays, but the idea is, you know, you, you know, it doesn't matter um, even if you don't, uh, you know, do it wholeheartedly for like two years or three years, right? I mean, even if you do it for two months or three months, the fact that you went there itself, you know, gives you an idea, gives you a flavor of what what that group is or how are people of that community? How do they think? What is their perspective? And how do how do they go on living their lives? Right. I mean, you get that inside for two, three months itself. Right. And I think, yeah, I think uh, just doing those small things is a good, good start, I would say. Yeah, I think I, think I agree with you. Uh, I think now, uh, before we get to the final part, I have a few questions from uh, which my team has asked, asked you. Okay, I'll keep it fairly, uh, fairly quick. One of my colleagues, he asks, um, it's difficult to find a single guiding force in life. What are the ways to create a guiding system to help us stay centered um, in our 20s? So I would say, um, I, I because I'm anti-everything that this person has asked, right? I mean, see, when you're like, oh, you know, you're looking for that uh, sign and the direction and, you know, and and I've struggled finding the direction myself. So I'm in no position in, in, in all honesty to answer this question. Um, but I would say that anything that looks radically different, I think you should do it, which is not in your path. I would say do it. I mean, I would say that is my guiding force. Even now it is my guiding force. If somebody tells me something which has got nothing to do with what I've done or what I've done in the past, I will, I will just jump at it. I think that is my driving force. So, um, yeah. And also I think whatever sort of, um, is your core, uh, values, right? I think if you have at least those values in place, you know, like three things that are really important to you, uh, like for example, enabling people is very important. So for in, in order to enable people, you can actually be a teacher at school or you can run like a venture factory, to, you know, you probably go work in uh, a social enterprise, right? I mean, there's so many ways you can do that. But, you know, if, at least if you know what are your core values, you know, what are important for you. I would say those are your driving uh, forces. But how it manifests can be completely different. But having right. those core values uh, would be your uh, guiding uh, guiding force. Right. One final question from the team. Okay. Uh, it's a fairly simpler one. Uh, how do you go about planning? Uh, in a way that is efficient, um, that does not lead to either under planning or analysis paralysis. How do you kind of find that balance um, while you're while you're planning the next uh, stage of your life? So I've spoke about satisfiers in this book, Raj. I mean, if if you remember in part maximizers right, and satisfiers. Yeah. So I would yeah. I would really strongly recommend that philosophy, saying you know when you're in that situation, just be a uh, satisfier right i mean basically what you're saying is you're constantly always saying what is the worst that can go wrong right if you make this decision and you weigh that uh and see and are you going to be okay with that right i mean if you also think about this topic that i've spoken about uh, which is mostly fine decisions right if you can marry the um yeah, you know, you make a decision and it doesn't have to be a perfect decision. 
is this a mostly fine decision right i mean can you right. uh, deal with the uh, consequences of that decision and if you can live with that consequence then just jump at it so there is no an um, analysis paralysis or choice paralysis and all of that right because you're weighing the odds of the worst case scenario um and um, and if you can live with it just don't overweigh things be a satisfier and just jump at it all right i think that uh, that answers the question quite well we have the final question for you shalini this is uh, this is basically about your next phase and uh, i want you to talk us a little bit through uh, what find your slashes i think the readers will um, will obviously come through what what it is but and i've been to one of the events as well but talk to us about the next phase and uh, and what find your slash uh, will mean to you going forward so find your slash is about constantly uh, reinventing yourself in different phases in your life um it is about developing multiple avatars uh, for yourself because i've been a strong believer of collecting or building identity capital um you know be an artist slash blogger slash uh, writer slash or technologist slash like you know be any slashes collect all these slashes because that's what's going to build that unique identity right and uh, your question is what is my next slash in terms of my career move uh no i've been in my exploratory uh, phase um i've been still working with uh, entrepreneurs uh, you know mentoring them or consulting with them and also with a few funds and hopefully hopefully sometime next year i will be able to unveil a new avatar but right now it's mostly been um, exploratory that's i think that that's a nice way to to kind of wrap all of this up for me i think uh, one of the biggest takeaways from find your slash and uh, and the entire book was that there is so much value in in being multifaceted uh, in being like a diamond it has so many different facets mm-hmm. you look at it from different ways and the the onlooker will have a different opinion based on his perspective right and uh, given the given the day and time that uh, that we are growing up in it's so important to have all of that and um, and it's so beautifully captured in your book i hope that uh, a lot of people kind of uh, get to read it and get to get to learn from it uh, but for now thank you so much for uh, for taking the time i really appreciate you coming uh, coming here to to talk to the audience and i hope we can do this more often yeah thank you so much raj i really really enjoyed this this was my first uh, linkedin live especially uh, to do with the book so this is really really yeah. exciting and i really enjoyed our um, conversations thank you all right Thank you so much Charlie. Take care. Bye. Bye.